Alrighty, welcome to Wednesday Night Musical Osmosis, where intelligent, dissonant thought meets melodic, euphonious reality. I am your musically magnanimous host, Nicholas Saucy One Cat Source, broadcasting to you live from the shadow of Hurricane Mountain, Tennessee. And I also want to introduce my percussively proficient co-host, calling in from Charm City, Maryland, my pal, Odell Norman. Odell, what's up? What's going on, man? Nothing. I I figured it was time to change up the intro since we've been back a couple episodes. I like it. <laughs> right on. And hiding in the background, as always, is the person that makes sure nothing goes wrong or covers it up when it does go wrong, Dita Producer. <laughs> yes, I am. Bronchitis and all. Okay. Yeah, you've been really sick this past week. But you've been a trooper. Anyways, um, B, who do we have on the show today? Actually, who do we have coming up first in the next couple musical osmosis okay. shows? Well, the next couple episodes of musical osmosis, we have uh, Mario Como of the Orwells coming, and the week before we've got Wilmer's Park with a few friends, um, and I guess that's it for the rest of the year for musical osmosis. Um, well, we might like do a Christmas show. In December, oh. and we're going to have Jr. from Next Step Up and Jason from our Misery Index and do a yeah, tribute to Wilmer's Park next month, too. Mm-hmm. Um, real quick, and like I got a couple comments back, like, hey, please don't tell us what's coming on every show because you guys have so much content now. But I do want to mm-hmm. real quick let everybody know, comedian Gary Veter from America's Got Talent was supposed to be on this Sunday on Kettle of Fish. He's leaving for his honeymoon Sunday, so he's actually coming on tomorrow. And I was able to last minute, yep, get our pal Classy Lauren Brenner, comedian Classy Lori Brenner, on for Sunday. So we're actually going to have two episodes of Kettle of Fish this week. Very nice, very nice, yes. Awesome. Odell, so um, I wrote this new intro, and Dee said that I didn't have to really distinguish that you were from Baltimore, that everybody knows what Charm City is. What do you think, being from Baltimore? Do you think everybody there, everybody across the country is familiar with their um, nickname of Charm City? I think so. Um, uh, uh, Like, I've gone to other areas and, you know, said, hey, I'm from Baltimore, and most people are like, oh, Charm City. Or they equate us to the Roller Girls, the Charm City Roller Girls, because they're super popular. Nice. um, I stand corrected then. Um, See? Had a hard time picking out the intro music. Actually, I'm going to play three songs from this band, one from a previous band of Larry's and two from this band. Tonight, the band that started it all for me going down my punk rock road, Peg Boy. Larry DeMore from Peg Boy is on. I could not be more excited. Actually, I brought the show back, and I I said this last time on on the show, that I actually brought this show back from the dead because we've been running so many different podcasts. I said, if I can get um, Al Pist on from The Pist, and if I can get Larry from Pegboy on, I'll bring the show back. And everything worked out timing-wise, and I was able to get them back-to-back. So I am a happy little punk rocker. What say you, Odell? <laughs> I'm very happy. Uh, what can I say about Pegboy, man? That's like That was sort of the start for me as well. Um, I'm, I'm, I, was, uh, I, was, I was in the punk rock, but I wasn't really into it. And then I started listening to, like, uh, them and Screeching Weasel and like the Descendants and it, just something about what they were talking about uh, resonated with me. So I really, that's what really sort of put me over the top. And then it, it, there's just so much to them um, that a lot of people I don't think realize the, the history that they have and, and the influence that they've had on so many other bands. So it's, it, it's absolutely it's, it's really cool, really cool. Yeah, and of course, anytime we have a guest on, I like to set the Wayback Machine and tell people why we're having that guest on and why they're so important to me, just so they know I'm not arbitrarily arbitrarily like picking bands out of a hat. Usually when I have right. guests on the show, they have some kind of significance, kind of like when you get a tattoo, it has some kind of significance to you. And the thing with Pegboy is, is I was not familiar with punk rock, but I liked loud, aggressive music. So the, the I didn't really like the Slayer type 
um, really dark type of metal music. I, I was just turned off by it. It just seemed a little silly to me, especially once you get to King Diamond sticking his tongue out with a big upside-down cross on his face. It just seemed hokey to me. <laughs> you know, too hokey for me to even listen to. But I was in the bands like Dio I thought was good and Iron Maiden and stuff. And those are a couple bands that I still listen to, but I was also into a lot of horrible glam metal bands because I just didn't know anything about punk rock. I thought punk rock was like The Clash and Sex Pistols. That's like the only punk I had ever mm-hmm. heard. I just didn't come from an area when I lived in McKeesport. There wasn't a whole lot of punk rock there. Everybody listened to metal. So I was listening to a lot of like, I don't know if I had a Warrant album, but I definitely had like a lot of type of Poison Motley Crue type stuff. And oh, we've all I, had that, dude. We've all had that. I still. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, I was into <laughs> it, dude. I had the long mullet, like, Billy Ray Cyrus, 12-foot mullet hair. And I had <laughs> posters all over my walls that my dad, like, thought were girls at first. But he got disturbed when he found they were out there all, like, these androgynous-type dudes. And he was like, wait a second, are these guys? Even I, when They're I like, first saw that um, little the cat shit. dragged in album. Oh, yeah. I, I was like, man, these chicks are hot. Like, I honestly thought they were girls until I was like, wait a second, those are dudes. So I get it, like, being from the older generation, my dad's from, like, he was born in the 40s and grew up in the 50s. I definitely get the pushback on that. But like I said, I'd never heard of it. I moved back to Waldorf, Maryland in 94. Um, started hanging out with Pat a lot in 95, Pat Sheehan. Yes, that was an excellent year for all of us. A lot of fun. And um, Pat's like, hey, man, um, do you listen to any punk rock? And I told him what I listened to, and he held back his laughter because he could tell he just wanted to start bagging on me. And um, he's like, hey, check out this band. Tell me what you think. And the first thing he played was Strong Reaction by Peg Boy. And it had so much soul and so much mm-hmm. good vibes, and they weren't fucking wanking on the guitar. Like, it was so polar opposite of just the over-the-top in-your-face glam metal, and I was more of a cash-and-carry guy, you know, jeans and a t-shirt, and I, you know, and even though I had a mullet, I didn't wear makeup or anything crazy like that. I was just kind of like a street kid from McKeesport, Pennsylvania, like a really hardcore city, so this music spoke volumes to me, and I, he gave me, he made a tape of it for all you kids out there, all you millennials, a tape is what we used to listen to music on in the old days, and he made a tape of it for me right there. I'd listened to like three songs, and I was like, dude, this is me. I get this. I, I understand this. This is me. And he made yep. me a tape, took the tape home. I was living in my dad's garage at the time. He actually had me locked out of the house. He had like downgraded me as close as he could to kicking me out of the house by keeping me in the garage. And um, <laughs> I had all my like winger-type tapes, glam metal tapes. I took them, and I threw them all in a box. I didn't throw them in the garbage, but I threw them in my closet, and I was like, screw this. I'm never listening to this garbage again. I'll sell these one day or whatever. And I just – I never went back to it. Like, I was never really into metal again. Like, I still would kind of put Maiden in once in a while when I was in the mood or Geo, like I said, or Queensryche, like bands like that that I thought were really technically excellent. But as far as, like, all the glam metal garbage, I just couldn't do it. And it just was a whole new level. And I was like, this is what I've been looking for my whole life. This is the sound. And it has set me on my road to form even Steven, government cheese first, which we all know how that ended, and then even oh, Steven yeah. and do our thing. What do you think? Hey, that's, I mean, I know I know for me, the Pegboy, Pegboy, um, uh, I just remember the first time I heard them, I was um, I was actually I was with Ben, Ben Story, and I think Pat was there too, and, um, and he Isn't had he it on always, the Do we yeah, have any stories yeah, from think, the 90s think, that doesn't involve Pat? Right, <laughs> and um, I remember listening to them, and I was like, you know, I I had listened to a few other bands, and I was like, who is this band? And Pat was like, this is Pegway, and I was like, oh, and he was like, do you do you remember Naked Ray Gun? And I was like, vaguely, I I wasn't into him as much. He was like, oh, these are some of the guys from them, and this and that, and he, and I was like, this stuff is really good, man. And, ben, and their and singer ben, used to mow this guy's lawn, and their aunt was a school guidance counselor. Like Pat knew everything. Oh, yeah. This was before yeah, Pat, the internet. Pat, Pat knew more about. Pat probably knew more about. Um, well, Pegboy than Pegboy knows about themselves. They may. They they might. You know, Larry. You know, we got Pat and Larry together in a room. You know, he would probably look at Pat like, "How did you know that?" And you know, <laughs> and why do you know that? <laughs> but um, I, no, it was it was. 
they were just that band, man, that um, it just clicked. And, um, like, from that point on, I mean, they were – and then sort of like you, but on the opposite, I started listening to them, and then I got into other bands, which sort of experimented with a little more, and then I started – so it was like Tapeboy sort of started me off in that realm of starting to listen to other types of music, too, so – that was right, and, then, and a party never went by where Pegboy, I mean, like, I listen to the Pist all the time, but I wouldn't play them at a party where, especially we had a lot of females there who weren't into yeah. the punk thing, but Pegboy mm-hmm. had such a universal sound that even if you weren't into punk, you could put it on and you would see, like, the girls, like, in the turtleneck's head bobbing. You know, yeah, like, exactly. everybody got it. Like, it could not, yeah. you could not help but be grabbed. By that music and by Larry's voice, which I think was a huge component huge, of why the yeah. band was successful. Yeah. All right, well, now that we're done kissing his ass, let's get him on the line here. <laughs> Larry, you with us? Hey, guys, how you doing? <laughs> I want to I know more about these girls in turtlenecks. <laughs> I'll have to send you all their Facebooks. I'm sure they're quite haggard now, seeing that that Cause, was Because they, 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 they certainly never came to any of our shows. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, before we start, Larry, Larry, I gotta ask you, why, 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 why do you crush on the Cubs so much, man? Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's funny. It's you know, I, I, you know that, huh? I, I'm not. See, this I, is, I'm not. I love it, man. It was so funny just looking at all the the different pictures, like you know, uh, like your face and on Steve Bartman's head and all that. I know, I know. I, that's the thing. I, I'm a Southside guy, so I'm a I'm a true blue Sox, White Sox fan. And there you uh, go. You know, all these friends and a couple of fans just started making up these memes and teasing me. So it just turned into this huge three week long. Uh, Fire fest where we're all beating on each other for a few weeks, but you know, <laughs> turns out turns, turns out I got the last laugh because they got their ass beat once they got to the playoffs. So oh my gosh, that was quick. So now we can move on. <laughs> we had fun. We had fun with it and, and a ton of laughs, and uh, you know now we work towards next year. And I start teasing them again in the spring. There nice. you go. <laughs> hey Larry, I don't know if you remember this. You probably don't remember this, but I actually met you years ago. Pegboy played in um, D.C. at the 930 Club. I think it was like 97, 98. Cha-Cha Lamora right. had just mm-hmm. come out. And um, my buddy Pat, Pat Sheehan, he's in every, leaks in every story. He's like, hey, man, there's a singer <laughs> for Pegboy. We should go meet him. And I had never met anybody from a band I liked. I wasn't even playing music professionally yet. Well, not professionally, but playing it <laughs> right. as a musician right. yet. And I came uh-huh. up to you, uh-huh. and I was an fucking total idiot fanboy. I was like, hello, Mr. Pegboy, sir. Uh, you changed my life. I, I love Pegboy, sir. And um, and then Pat, I don't know if you remember this, you were a little bit bummed out because there wasn't maybe 20, 30 people there. And you're like, wow, I thought there'd be more people here in D.C. And Pat, of course, uh-huh. wrong and always obnoxious was like, well, you know, maybe if you release an album more than every three years, you'd have a lot more people here. <laughs> and you were kind of like, all right, nice meeting you, dude. And that was the end. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that. I, I got to be honest with you, Nick. I do not remember that. Uh, I do remember that, you know, I, I remember we played at DC uh, 930 Club several times. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I got to be honest with you, I don't remember that one. Yeah, yeah. That was a great memory. Uh, I've got pictures from that night, too. I need to upload them. And actually, I got to scan them because they're in a photo album. It's that long ago. And actually right, put them up right, online. Right. But anyways, I want to talk to you about the um, Chicago Sound first because, you know, Odell – actually had his bachelor party in Chicago. And we every time I go to Chicago, I hear, like, when we're walking around the streets, and I try to make it out there about once a year because our kids' mm-hmm. grandparents live in Indiana right across the border. Right, and right, if I'm walking right. around mm-hmm. Chicago, I hear Pegboy in my head. And just like a yep. veil sounds like Richmond to me, Richmond, you guys yeah. sound like <laughs> Chicago. Not the, the right. scene there, but you sound like that city. What is it about Chicago that just produces that really you know, street-level sound? It, you know, it, the Chicago sound kind of, that whole term kind of took on a life of its own. I mean, uh, there, of course, Naked Ray Gun was known for the Chicago sound. And then, you know, even people were saying Big Black was the Chicago sound. Now, those two bands are completely different from each other and don't sound anything alike. I guess I guess by Chicago sound, they mean, you know, gritty in-your-face guitars. And, and I guess Naked Ray Gun 
to a, to a degree kind of put the melody in it. I think more than anything, it, it's that Chicago is pretty isolated in the middle of the country. So there were, you know, they took some influences from the West Coast, took some influence from the East Coast, but still they were so isolated that 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 they kind of developed their own sound. And it was a small enough music scene where um, a lot of the same players played in the different bands. Uh, a lot of the diff- same different bands uh, together at various times. So I think the influence comes one from being isolated and two from a lot of the musicians crossing over and playing in each other's bands and also being friends. So, um, you know, I, I, it's kind of an incestuous thing, you know, it's kind of an incestuous sound just because we were so isolated. Yeah. I mean, that you can definitely, <laughs> it makes absolute sense. I mean, you can oh, definitely yeah. see there's a lot of unity there. Like that vibe comes through that. That's a city mm-hmm. much like DC with the whole discord type of, um, movement out there you can tell that there's a lot a of bit, unity yeah. so and i right, think it's right. just an incredible thing and that's why bands like screech and weasel and peg boy and all that pocket of and the vindictos like all those bands you can tell where they're from and you can tell that everybody is cool with everybody there right you know it's kind of funny that you mentioned weasel and the vindictives that you know they're, they're they're really kind of two scenes that came out of chicago um one was a little earlier you know, the late, late, maybe 79 to like 85-ish, uh, it was much more of a, a city scene, and there wasn't okay. much really happening in, in the suburbs, per se. And then around 85, 84, 85-ish, uh, some of the suburb, you know, some bands started popping up in the suburbs, and, um, you know, that was Screeching Weasel would be one of them, certainly. And, uh, there was really kind of two scenes. So there was the city scene and the, the suburban punk rock scene. And, and Pegboy kind of was one of those bands that kind of crossed into both of those scenes. It was right at a time when both of those scenes were starting to come together. Uh, there was a place called McGregor out in the suburbs that actually, by about probably 87 or so, was probably one of the best places, places to play shows in Chicago. So, you know, really it was two different scenes that, kind of merged and really that's when things really started taking off because then at that point there were just tons and tons and tons of bands playing and I, wow. every weekend there were there were great shows happening so was that complete chaos back in those days i mean if i could just live in those moments that you lived in that is just mind-bending to me yeah it was pretty it was really really cool and, and it was i gotta say as a, as a young punk rock kid growing up in chicago i mean uh, and I'm going back probably. I'm quite a bit older than you guys. Now, if I go back to the early '80s, like a like a typical show coming through Chicago would be like Black Flag, with the Descendants and Naked Rap, oh. and that was one show. So I mean, it was like these multiple. Yeah, I mean, you know, then you would, <laughs> the next the, the next week it would be the Big Boys, the Dicks, and Crucifix. You know, so it was it was always like these great shows coming through town. I I mean, I gotta say, I'm like 51 years old now, and and as far as the punk rock music in Chicago, I mean, I grew up right through the the best the, the very best part of it. You know, I'm I'm, I'm happy to say that I, I saw probably every old school hardcore and punk rock band that existed back in the day because that's what we did we went to shows that that was my my life revolved around going to shows at that point yeah i mean and i feel like not being i feel like not being in that era with you that just looking from the outside that chicago was probably a lot more accepting city of that sound than say houston or phoenix or somewhere like that like i just get that vibe uh, even the average uh, street you weren't getting raided definitely yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, early on, uh, obviously the, the jock kids wanted to beat up the punk kids, but you know, any any of the touring bands, you know, from Black Flag to the Descendants of Circle Jerks, you know, if if you were starting in in California or or DC, let's say Minor Threat, uh, everybody had to cross the country, and Chicago was just a natural stop for every one of these bands to stop on their way, you know, on tour. And it was, you know, it was a big city. So they could get decent crowds, and it was, you know, like I said, everybody came through here when they were touring. Yeah, I know. How did you get into uh, uh, punk music, if you don't mind me asking? And, and what were what were your influences, I guess? Uh, you know, a lot. My my story is a lot like your guys that I was listening to before you guys brought me on. I mean, I was I had um, 
I graduated high school in 1982, and, and at that point, I really hadn't really heard much punk rock, so I was a little late to the to the initial push of punk rock. But like I said, I had heard the you know I liked the Clash, um, that kind of stuff. That was major label stuff. The Sex Pistols, I had heard that, and I just just by chance happened to be driving in my car. Um, uh, and I was had to dial away on the left, and I tuned into some, you know, uh, actually it was Northwestern's um, college station. I could barely get it, you know. Uh, and I heard, you know, much like you guys talked about, you know, my band, you know, at the beginning of the show, I heard a Minor Threat song, and it was immediately oh. something that just blew, absolutely sucked me in and blew me away. I mean, it was, it was music <laughs> that I could instantly relate it to, and the anger coming out of uh, Ian's, <laughs> you know, the oh, anger yeah, yeah. coming out of Ian's voice was just like tapped into my soul. And I knew, I mean, I knew the minute I heard that song, that yep. rock was going to change my life forever. I mean, literally. Well, let me dig in here then, because you listen to a lot of punk bands, and this is something I think is synonymous with Chicago, with some of the bands at least, the ones I listen to. And The Pissed is a very different band. Like I said, the pissed and you guys, especially lyrically, because I'm a lyric-driven guy, more than an actual right. music. And you're a very different kind of writer. Your music is very soulful. The lyrics are very personal. Why, in a political climate like the 80s and 90s, were you not writing political music, especially like Bhopal's um, Stiffs? I've been listening to a lot of those, you know, you guys then. And there was some political yeah, there. There's there's a little political in there, right? There there is a little political in Bhopal Stiffs, but I mean the the stuff when I ever when I ever sat down, I mean I I went through, you know I guess like a lot of punk rock kids, <laughs> I hate to say it, but you know I went through when I was twenty twenty two nineteen years old, um, I, you know I was I was going through a pretty depressed time in my life. And, you know, of course, politics, I was down on politics because of punk rock. I mean, punk rock made me a lot more politically aware. But the, but what really moved me when I was sitting down to write a song was personal stuff, you know, stuff mm. that I was going through and stuff that was bringing me down and stuff that, that you know, so it just felt natural for me to write about stuff that I could feel directly rather than, you know, and like I said, I was political as well, but the stuff that really moved me to write was like personal stuff. And I, and I think, I mean, I, I guess back then they even, you know, I think the first before emo, they were calling it emo core and it was, emo bands core, that were yeah. Singing. Yeah. yeah, it was bands that were singing w with their hearts on their sleeves and we got, yep. pitch, I guess not pigeonholed, but I mean, that tag was something that people threw on us quite a bit back then. Well, when you're traveling around the country and you're going to areas, especially an area like D.C., where we're from, that's politically charged, are you getting pushback huh? from the fans? Like, why why are you singing these soulful type of melodies instead of singing some fuck the government type stuff? Not really. I mean, at the time, you know, even at the time that my old uh, Bhopal band was, I mean, Reagan was, Reagan, everybody was dogging on Reagan. Reagan was out of office by then. Really, the climate of punk rock was it wasn't so political. I mean, that's you know, bands like speaking of DC, bands like uh, Rights of Spring were coming out then and had nothing was, to do with politics really. Yeah, they and, were and, they were like emo. <laughs> you talk about right, the emo right. Rights of Spring was like you know, that, yeah. And going back to those days, I mean, the late eighties. I mean, that band. I heard that record. That that record blew me away, and that was mm -hmm. nothing but about personal stuff. So uh, punk rock started taking a little less of a political vein and started becoming there – was, there was a lot more happening on a personal level, so there really was no pushback. I mean, there really was no pushback with us at all. Awesome. You actually, Odell? Didn't, yeah, didn't you – actually, uh, uh, I know I was looking at some of your past stuff, and I, like Jay Robbins and a few other guys, didn't they – Played with you guys or uh, yeah? After we put out our first yeah, after we put out our, our first record, um, I was oh strong reaction was our our, our first full length record after uh, we'd had an EP and, and a full length record. We went to Europe and toured for a couple of months there. Um, okay, came back and then we got an offer to go on tour with Social Distortion for a couple of oh, months. Wow. Um, so our bass player at that point was told that if he uh, was to take a, another tour, he was going to lose his job. 
he was a union uh, guy. He was kind of trained. And back then, it was impossible to make any money in a punk rock band. It just wasn't happening. So right. he chose to stick with work, which kind of left us. We either had to cancel the tour or um, find a new bass player. And uh, Jay's been a friend of ours for many, many years, back to the government issue days. Okay. Um, so we we basically just called Jay and asked him if he wanted to uh, jump on a tour with us, and he was he was down way down for it, and uh, and that's how it happened. He, he warmed up for a couple of weeks, and then flew to Chicago and jumped in the van with us, and, and went on tour with us for a couple months. Oh, wow! <laughs> when you're meeting people on the road, and I and I mean I can't be the first person to tell you that that album, especially Strong Reaction, changed the direction of my life. When you hear that from fans. Are you kind of like mission accomplished, or were you never in it to change people's lives? Were you well, just in it for the expression? You know what? You, you, you're, you're, you're in it for the expression. You know, I mean, you don't think. Well, here, let me tell you. I'll tell you a quick story. We were yeah. playing. We were uh, on a tour, and we were playing a show in San Francisco. So, originally, when you get in a band, you do it just because you love music and you want to be part of it. Uh, we had just play, finished playing a show in San Francisco, and this kid just out of, out of the blue, it's probably our second tour, out of the blue came up to me, uh, and he goes, you know what, I, I, I'm not going to bug you too long, but I just want to tell you, he goes, you wouldn't believe, like, my home life. He's like, my dad's a drunk. He beats me up every day. He's like, I, I'm, I, I feel like I want to commit suicide almost every day. He's like, wow. for the hour I was watching you guys, and he looked at me and he said, he said, you guys – Absolutely made maybe forget all of my problems for the hour I was here. Wow, that, that so blew me away. I mean, it almost it almost brought tears to my eyes. And and at that point, you know, you realize like, wow, some people you really, really, really making an impact on some people. And that, that's when you realize that that's what you really do it for. Because like, yeah, I mean, there's there's no better tribute than for some kid. To some kid that you don't even know really to come up and tell you that it just absolutely blew me away. So does that take the music to a different level? Are you like, wow, now I've got this responsibility. I'm in it for this now. Does that change the dynamic of it? No, it really doesn't change the dynamic, but it but it it changes the way you um, you just it changes the way you look at what you do, um, and 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 it lets it gives you a little glimpse of the fact that to some people it's more, it's really more important than just, you know, the enjoyment of it. It means something to people. And and that's the best payoff you could ever get. Absolutely. Um, we're at the 30 minute mark. I am going to play a quick Bo Paul Stiss um, song because I've got to play you guys <laughs> the clash of the heavy driving music with your voice makes this a perfect mixture. I absolutely Pat actually told me, Hey, if you're into Peg Boy, you know, if you're having Larry on, check out Bo Paul Stiffs. And of course, Pat, uh, you know, got me into listening to it recently, last few uh, weeks, and I'm just blown away. No so sure. let me play Human Race by cool. Bo Paul Stiffs.
yeah, your voice really gives another dimension to that driving beat of that song. I think that, I mean, it's just incredible. I'm just blown away by it. <laughs> thanks, thanks. That was, was a little scratchy on the vocals, but uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. So let's talk about Bill Paul um, Stiss. Are you guys having any plans to reunite and play any shows? I think you guys reformed, or not reformed, but did some reunion shows in 2009, right? Yeah, we did um, We did a couple of reunion shows. I don't know when, I, I don't even remember the date we did the first one. That was just a regular one. And then um, the guys from Riot Fest a few years back called us and, and asked us if we would do a reunion on that one. Uh, and we did it. It was a little shaky. Um, <laughs> our old drummer lives. <laughs> our old drummer lives in Denver now, so it's kind of it would be it would be pretty tough to to make that happen again. To be honest with you, it, you, you, you never say never, but uh, at this point, there's no plans to do it. And, All right. And Pinkway played Riot Fest too, right? Uh, we did. We did. You know what? We we did. We played it a couple times years ago. I mean, okay. we never were. I got to be honest with you. We're we're one of the bands. I think, you know, if I'm going to, this sounds so cheesy, but if I'm going to stick on to my punk rock credentials, I mean, I, I always felt like punk rock is not the type of music that should be played in festivals and be made a, a mainstream mm-hmm. thing of. So we've ne- we never have really seeked out trying to do the Riot Fest thing. I think punk okay. rock really stands against a lot of what, what those the, the whole festival crowd stands for. Punk rock is to be played late night, drunk in a dark bar. As far as I'm, as far as I'm concerned, unless you're straight edge, yeah. but still needs to be late night in a dark bar. That's because you feel like punk is just so pure that it shouldn't be bastardized by playing in a festival. I agree. I, I 100% agree. I mean, um, yeah. I'm down with that. Music, punk rock music changed my life, and uh, to whore it out with sponsorship and uh, you know, uh, and putting it on to the guys of just making money for people putting it on, it's kind of, it's a little bit of a turnoff to me. But they do their thing. I don't knock any of the bands that play it, but, mm-hmm. and we have played it. So I don't, you know, mm-hmm. I don't want to, I don't want to sound like a total hypocrite, but, you know, whatever. Right. It is what it is. All right. I've and- got to ask you this because it's been almost 20 <laughs> years since Cha Cha Lamore. You guys are, Pigboy's still playing. But you haven't been putting out any music. How, how come? I mean, you're just not feeling the writing, or what's going on with that? You know, we 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 haven't been, and you're exactly right. We haven't been feeling the writing, uh, but we just pretty much talked about it maybe a month ago. Um, you know, we thought we we were probably going to do another record, uh, awesome. but we thought like if, if, if oh, we start man. now, if we start now, it's going to be a year before a record actually comes to be because I, you know, we don't want to really slap anything together. Um, so yeah, we're right. we're going to, we're going to see what, we're going to see what happens. If we're going to write some songs, if they suck, you'll never hear them. <laughs> if we think they're good, if we think they're good and we think, you know, it's, it's worth putting out, we'll put it out. Um, that's pretty much all I can tell you. Is it going to be it's a huge be... leap in um, writing style? Do you feel like, because you have maturity, you have so. so much experience. No, uh, you know, I, I don't think so. We've always said, I, we said in 1991 when we got together, and we said it again in 1995, and we said it again in 1998. We we don't, we're not, we only know how to do one thing. We know how to write punk rock. Um, so we do what we do, and, uh, you know, hopefully it sounds different enough where it's, where people like it, but we're not going to, you know, you're not going to see me coming out and doing any ballads or uh, opuses. <laughs> you know what I mean. Wiping the sweat hey, off hey. my head. Um, Odell, I think we've got a call. Do we have a call coming in, D, from Chicago? Oh, boy. Probably yeah, a friend is going to bust our ball. Thank you. Yes, we have a message on Facebook explaining. Okay, uh, well, let so me yes, get Dave have... in here from Chicago. Mm-hmm. Well, you want to read hey, the guys. message first? Dave, what's up? Hey, what's going on, you guys? Hey. Nothing. Did you have a question for Larry, or is this just a friendly call? Uh, it's a friendly call. I just wanted to say uh, the last show at the Chop Shack was killer, man. It was uh, it was like, uh, you know, I'm 37 now. It was like I was 18 again, and I just uh, want to thank the guys for doing just a great show and and for all the work they've done throughout the years, and we love them being my friends, and uh, they're just great. 
Dave, Did you appreciate get that. On? I appreciate that. Let me, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me, I'll, I'll put a little spin on that. That that we every year during Riot Fest, uh, probably the last four years, we've had, we have been playing Chicago shows, uh, just because we know uh, there's people in you know from out of town that may want to come see us. Uh, that Chop Shop show happened. To, you know, a few weeks back during Riot Fest, uh, it was a new venue, and the show really, really went off really well, and, and we had a ball. And, and you know, great. it's great that it's great that you know guys like Dave came out and had so much fun. It, it did feel like old times. The crowd was crazy, and I felt young again too. <laughs> nice, Dave. Did you get turned on to Peg Boy recently, or have you been listening to him pretty much since day one? Well, pretty much since uh, the mid-90s, I wish, uh, since day one. But, yeah, man, they've just been great. And uh, I actually listened to them before Naked Ray Gun. That got me started on that whole wow. thing. But, uh, yep, yeah, yep. But, uh, yeah, the whole, fire, you, <laughs> the whole fireside thing, you know, I used to play there, too. And uh, it was just great uh, seeing them again. They're really unbelievable. Awesome. Thanks, dude. Appreciate nice. it. Thanks for calling right, in, man. Dave. We appreciate your call. Right. Thank you, Dave. Thanks. Okay, doing my research for the show, I found out some little tidbits here that you are an avid fisherman. You make your own furniture. Yes. And the whole time <laughs> I'm reading all this, I'm like, holy shit, Larry you is your like, own uh, he's like Nick Offerman, the Nick Offerman of fucking punk rock, reading he's through a, all he's this. A, he's a renaissance man. He, he, he builds sheds and transforms has his own fly fishing rods and yeah, yeah, that's awesome. You know, that's another. You know, you got to follow your passions. I mean, we did a, you know, for any for any punk rock fisherman who might be listening, uh, there's a, a friend of ours did a documentary about the contrast of our punk rock lives with our fly fishing lives. It's it's called Reverb. Uh, Reverb. Yes. You can, you can find it online, and uh, it's really, really kind of a it's really a good documentary about us and fishing. So if you're into the fishing thing. Look it up. Have a look at it. It's really a cool documentary. Uh, yeah, cool. but yeah, I'm gonna have yeah. to check so that fishing out. Fishing keeps me sane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all need something to stabilize us. We all need that quiet, happy place, right? Definitely, definitely. And that's really that's really what the whole documentary is about: the chaos of the punk rock and then the serenity of the fishing. It's really cool. Serenity now. All oh, right. Um, so let's kind of go in another direction here. Uh, Odell, do you Actually, have anything gotta, you want to add? Yeah, yeah. Before I Actually, hop into this did, next subject, how did you guys get on uh, Touch and Go Records? I know, yeah, like, when, I, when I saw Touch and Go Records, it was like for you know a lot of punk bands get on a punk label. Like you know when you you know you, you see Lookout Records and you know all the bands that are on Lookout right. and they sort of sound. So yeah, right, right, touch, right. Touch and, um, touch and Go is so diverse and. Which is really cool. Don't, I mean, I love it because I, I mean, from Brainiac to you guys, Beautiful Forty Four. Yes. I mean, the, oh my the God, I've been that band in years. Brainiac. Yeah. Yeah. You know, again, I go back to the incestuous music scene here. I mean, Touch and Go is obviously an old Chicago label from day one. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of our friends were either in bands on the label or. In this case, uh, our friend Corey was the owner of the label. So, naturally, okay. when we had some product, when we had some product to shop around, um, you know, we shopped it to Touch and Go, and they jumped on it right away. Um, I think, and, and actually, we're, you know, it's Touch and Go Quarter Stick. So Quarter Stick at the time yeah. was a, a new label that Corey was starting on the side, and I think uh, the first two bands on there were uh, us and Rollins Band. So okay. the intention the intention was that Quarter Stick was going to be a little more on the, you know, not so avant-garde. Uh, I'm not sure it ever worked out that way, but um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're glad we're glad what we did. And, and Corey, you know, like like Discord Records in DC, um, Corey was always straight up with the bands, and you know, all the money was split fifty-fifty right down the middle, and there was no record label bullshit going on. So it was a good match for Sweet. us. And that's cool because that's how, like, that's how, like, you know, Discord was for, you know, our area. You know, a lot of people equate Discord to, you know, Fugazi and Minor Threatening. You're like, there's some other bands way on the other end of that spectrum that you're like, oh, they're on Discord too. Wow. Exactly. And they say the same thing. So it's really cool. Exactly. And I think, you know, throughout the years, Ian and Corey from Touch and Go, uh, 
you know, had very similar business models and were very good friends. So uh, right. the, 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 both of those labels are basically carved out of the same ethics, you know. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Okay, in the last few minutes, I really want to talk about the fans and how the scene has changed. Looking back at, let's say, the 90s and the scene and the fans and looking at today, does it feel watered down to you, or do you feel like you're still getting that same energy out of the kids that come out? Um, It is watered down. I mean, I'm going to even take it a little bit before the 90s. I mean, in the 80s, uh, it was a very small scene, and, and it was a scene derived of people that didn't really fit into the mainstream. Uh, then the music got popular. In the 90s, there really was a, a nice push of, you know, there were a lot of good punk rock bands touring, uh, uh, but not quite yet onto the major label end of it. And then when, when the punk rock in the 90s hit the mainstream, of course, it brought, you know, millions of other kids into it. So... I mean, you can look now. You go into a bar, you can see a kid with, you know, complete sleeve tattoos, and he's really the least. He, he's really anything but punk rock. And then you can see a kid <laughs> with an eyes on shirt, <laughs> you know, who's really got the punk rock, you know, attitude. So it, it's watered down in the respect that you can't really judge a book by its cover anymore. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. punk rock has become a lot more of a style now than a anti establishment movement let's say mm-hmm. wow um, so after. it is a little watered down but yet you know some of the shows are you know there's still a lot of great energy to it and 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 a lot of the shows are still great i think it it, it would do punk rock well to actually have a direction that was a little bit something more than just the music but that'll come when the time's right it'll come back well, you've been doing this for over 30 years. I mean, you've been out there pounding the pavement. When you see yes. that it's watered down like this, is it hard to keep up that same energy and passion level, or is this just an automatic reflex at this point? It, it, well, just the simple fact that you do anything for 30 years, it's a little harder to keep the energy. Um, I still believe in uh, the idea that countercultures pop up when the timing's right. I, I hope, Hopefully it's through punk rock again, but I mean, again, I, you know, it'd be nice to see some kind of a political movement. I mean, the Lord knows this country's falling apart. So it's the kids, should, Amen to that. the kids yeah. got every reason to stand <laughs> up and, and try to make something happen again. I just don't yeah. see it happening yet, but that's not to say it's not going to happen. You know, are you into any newer music? Are you still like, I, I don't know if there's been a new band I've been turned on to in the last maybe year or so. I mean, I've kind of drifted out of even checking out new music. Uh, I got to agree with you there. I mean, I, I, I would love, you know, and maybe I don't dig as hard as I used to when I was younger, but I want so much to, to some band come along that just is going to blow me away. I don't know. Yeah. It's maybe just because I'm old and jaded now. A lot of the stuff sounds like rehashes, or a lot of bands mm-hmm. sound like other bands now. I just want so much for a band to come along and blow me away. It'll happen. I hope. Is it seen a victim so. of technology? I mean, just so much animated with YouTube and Kindles, and you could just Google anything anywhere. Is it just too much for anything to actually stand out at this point? It could be. It could be, or it could be just that there's so much that it's hard to find the stuff that you love anymore. You have to weed through. So everybody has a platform now, and there are so many bands with you know SoundCloud and all the other, you know, uh, all the other sites like that. There's just so much to weed through. But you would think, you know, you would think that a friend would give you something, or somebody would <laughs> give you something. Somebody needs to start doing something from the heart again, and, and not just trying to catch. Could it, not you know? agree more. I'm sorry, Adele. Go ahead. You had something. No, no. I was just saying it. You know, and it may not even come from around here. It could be some kid in some, you know, hard up foreign country somewhere. That Uganda. Like, anywhere. Right. You exactly. know what? And they're just like, this is what it is, and this is how we feel. And exactly. And it's exactly. Just like, Whoa, and that's okay. and, and and that's that's actually the good thing, you know, about how wide open music is now. It maybe it yeah. is going to come from some little town in you know Ljubljana. Czechoslovakia or something like that, that, yeah. that, that the new sound will come out, something will blow you away. I hope so. It will. I mean, I don't hope so. It will happen. 
Are you guys getting out of Chicago much to actually kind of see the terrain and check out the scene, or are you playing pretty much exclusively in the area? Uh, we did. Uh, we mostly just play around here. Um, we did. We went broke out for a few weeks about a year ago with Face to Face. Did some shows with them on the East Coast, uh, and oh, there's okay. been some talk. There's been some talk um, about us maybe going on a tour again. Uh, but nothing's in stone yet. Uh, I would love to go out before I'm too old. I'm, like I said, I'm 51, so if, if it doesn't happen soon, <laughs> it, doesn't, it gets harder to climb into the loft in the van when you're 51 every day. So, But, but, but we want to do it. We want to do it. We miss it. I mean, some of the best times of my life were on tour, so uh, I would love to do it again. And it probably nice. will happen. It's just a matter of when. That's why I got face to face was because of you guys, uh, because of the, the oh, sound. Yeah. Like when I first when I first heard face to face, I was like, oh my gosh, they sound just like Big Boy, or they're very similar. They just, <laughs> yeah, even awesome, even, awesome. The singer, even even the singer, I'm like, wow, you know. And and, and I remember the first time I heard, them, I was like, Big Boy, and they were like. Yeah, this is face to face. I was like, oh, okay, I can check them out. And, 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 <laughs> you know, yeah, it turns cool. out they they actually reached out to us to go on that tour, so they are fans of ours, and and <laughs> they're they're huge they're huge fans of the old Naked Ray Gun stuff. So um, that's how that actually came together. They they invited okay. us to go out with them. That's Do you cool. feel like the that Naked really Ray Gun cool. sound bleeds into Pegboy, especially in those early years? Is it impossible to escape? Are you open? To, was you open I to think, that? I think because of the because of the situation and because you know a, a bass player and our guitar player John Haggerty you know did time in Naked Reagan for so long we're, we will forever be married to Naked Reagan on some level. Um, but as far as like you know the sound, yeah, there's a little melody in there. Uh, it's melodic. I think our music's a little heavier. There's a little poppier. They got a few more whoa whoa woes. My voice isn't right. that good, so there are no whoa woes. But it's just a fact that 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 we, that, you know, the two bands forever will be closely tied. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> no, 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 nothing not wrong. At all. Not at all. It, it, I mean, in the, and it seems like they've. Got, I mean, I was watching. Um, uh, I'm a big uh, Dave Grohl fan, so the whole Sonic Highway right. series, mm-hmm. and, and and the fact that you know the first one he did was Chicago, and how. Right. Right. He's doing a Naked Ray Gun show, and that changed his life. Changed his life. Yep. I was yep. at that show. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That is absolutely amazing. There is so much history with you guys. Like Adele said in the beginning of the show, I don't think people realize the history that you guys have and how many, how much you've had your fingers in everything as far as influence. Right. I mean, and it's nice to hear like the new bands like Rise Against and, you know, yeah, Alcorn yeah. Trio. And it's nice to hear those guys, you know, after, you know, we pounded away for 30 years and never really, you know, we opened the doors for people, but never really made any money. Yeah, we did it because we loved it. And it's nice after all these years to, to get kudos from those bands, you know, and, you know, for them to say that we were big influences on what they do today. So, you know, that's the payoff. And those are the kids that you were talking about earlier that, you you know, you were mentioning the one kid that came up to you and you were like, man, you know, you really changed my life. Those are the kids. Those are the kids that right. were right. there and right. they were like, you know what, right. this is what I want to do. And this right. is how I and it's, yeah. Right. And I'm it's humbling. It's humbling. It's humbling. And it makes you realize that, that, that everything that you did, you know, hey, right now I'm I'm broke and I'm a, <laughs> you know, I should have maybe gone to college and done the corporate thing. But what makes it all worthwhile is that you did have impact on these kids. Yeah. Yeah, definitely had an impact on me and on my music. So there, we're all out Thank there. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, we cool. always like That's to wrap cool. up the show with your favorite road story. What is your absolute craziest over-the-top road story? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, there's all kinds of over the top, <laughs> but I think the one that, you know, the one thing <laughs> that I remember the most, we were, we were coming from, I think from Calgary to Vancouver and we were running late and we, you know, the sun was going down, uh, and we were racing to get to Vancouver for a show and, uh, it was started getting cold and we were winding our way through the, uh, winding our way through the, uh, uh the Canadian Rocky mountains when a logging truck in front of us started to jackknife on, on black ice. So oh, oh, no. Joe, our drummer, was driving at the time, hit the brakes, and we realized that we were on, on the black ice as well. 
we spun, I mean, we went into this mountain pass, spun probably five, six, or eight times, uh, and then drove off. I mean, we literally drove off of the Rocky Mountains. Holy cow. Down <laughs> down an embankment, and I could feel the van sliding sideways, and you, you know how you can feel, like, the force of the van? I just yeah. was feeling that the van was going to start to roll over, and we were going to roll oh. down this hill. It's just at that moment we hit this big boulder. It straightened us perfectly out right into a tree, and that was what kept us from probably all being dead right now. Oh, wow. Uh, I thought there was going to be yeah. a moose in this story. <laughs> no. Yeah, I wish there was. But, I mean, that, I mean, I could still, when I think about that, I still get the adrenaline rush like it happened yesterday. It was something that will oh, always oh, stick in my mind. And, and I really thought, you know, I was thinking in slow motion, I really thought that, that I, you know, somebody was going to die. And we all came through it, and we actually made it to the Vancouver. We threw our shit on a, on, a, on, a, on a Greyhound bus and took it to Vancouver and played the show that next night. There you go. The fan was total. <laughs> so no crazy fan stories then. No fans jumping up on stage and attacking you or anything like that. <laughs> nah, there, there's some raunchy ones, but we won't get into it. Fair enough. All righty. That is a great place to end. Larry, thank you so much for coming on today. This has been an absolute treat for us. Tell everybody yeah, where they so can much, find Les. you. Anything to work on, any Facebook pages. Where can we find you on your way out the door? Uh, you know, the Tugway's got a Facebook page. We're too punk rock to even have a website. So we got the Facebook page. And hopefully, you know, hopefully by spring or, you know, hopefully by spring you'll be hearing uh, rumors of us having another record out. Yes. yes. You got to come back. You got to come back on then. You got to come back on. <laughs> we'll do. We'll happens. do. I had, I, had, I had a blast, you guys. Thanks, oh, Larry. Thank you, Larry. All righty. That was Pretty awesome. Um, Odell, did you get Uh, your peg boy fix? Was it everything you hoped it would be? I was seriously fanboying over here, dude. I was like, I had to get up. I was like walking around pacing. (laughs) So you wouldn't pee yourself? Yeah. You can be honest. All righty, guys. (laughs) Um, So coming up in a couple weeks, we're going to do our Wilmer's Park tribute show. Um, Jason's going to call in, formerly of Dying Fetus, now of Misery Index. Believe it or not, Jason is still playing shows and working on his doctorate. He's going to be a doctor in a couple years of political science, as crazy as that is. So pushing uh, mid-40s, you know, pushing mid-40s, and he is still in school and doing a band thing. I don't know where he gets the fucking energy level, to tell you the truth. (laughs) Hey. You know what? Good for him, man. Good for him. He, he'll be able to play a Misery Index show, and then you'll see him on, like, you know, Face the Nation the next day. Uh, yeah, he'll be able to sing songs about, like, evisceration as a doctor. Yeah. All these songs <laughs> of mutilation and evisceration he'll be singing, but it will have his doctorate to back it up. And yeah. um, we'll have JR on, too, from Next Step Up, and we're just going to regale people and all the old – and there is a lot of Wilmer's Park stories. There's a lot of history to Wilmer's Park, so, I mean – if you just do a little bit of research, just the history from the Chitlin circuit, I mean, it's all the way to, you know, what we did. I mean, some amazing acts played there. Um, it's an unbelievable place. Uh, that's all I can say right now. Is just, I don't think a lot of people realize the history of Wilmer's Park until you actually, you know, hear, uh, you, know, you know, coming from Charles County, you listening to older folks talk about Wilmer's Park. Or, yeah, like I mean, dad, it's encoded like, in like, our DNA at this point, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, my dad used to come over when he lived in Bowling Green, Virginia. They used to come over and go into Wilmer's Park, you know, to see shows because that was the only area that had, like, the black artists was at Wilmer's Park, so stuff yeah. like that. So it's amazing stuff. And in the following week, we're going to have Murray Como from the Orwell. The Orwell, yeah. That's, That's going to be exciting. I have recently, the first episode back, I actually turned you on to the Orwells. Yeah, yep. So this is yep. coming full circle now for you. Here we go. <laughs> and then you want to do a Christmas show in Christmas, so we'll put something together. We'll probably just do one show in December and do some kind of Christmas tribute show, maybe find a bunch of cool punk rock Christmas songs and get somebody Sounds to call good. in. But that's the thing. That'll be fun. That'll be fun. All we right. can get a lot of callers in on that, and we can see what we can come up with. That'll be good. 
Well, since we're crotchety old men, it's almost bedtime. So let me play the song that started it all for me by Peg Boy. Strong reaction off the Strong Reaction album. We'll end with that. Good night, everybody. We'll see you. Um, we'll be back November 11th, actually. We're going to take a week off between our bi-weekly shows, and we'll be back on November 11th. All right, brother. All righty.